0: You are listening to the Holistic Travel Nurse Podcast. Thanks for hopping in. If you're new, or if you're one of my continue listeners, um, thanks for hopping in. I record these not with some special microphone. I don't spend a lot of money. I spend money on the platform where I do it. But I do this because I care, and I hope that you see some of my heart. But recently, I'm going to start um, taking on a few clients personally, and why you'd want to hire me as your holistic nurse, and what you'd be getting in person. Um I have different than you know, obviously virtually online. I do health coaching and I put you through I can put you through liver cleanses and a kidney cleanse and then I really like to help with people with autoimmune issues, chronic pain issues. Um also having somebody that is gonna be possibly for you and your family being an advocate. So in this day and world, you need an advocate, you need someone the health street health community if you ever to get hospitalized or you need to understand more of the tests or things that are being said to you, and you want a natural approach to health. I give you those ideas, and then I can pinpoint you to naturopaths who I trust, um, and then books that I would read, and then programs that would be on, herbs, oils, and things you can be doing all to improve your health. And it's why you want to work with the person one-on-one is because you have that person in your corner and you have that person that you can ask questions to. I have that free actually with other people, but that's what I offer. Cause my husband all the time wants to like, Hey, this person, and this person wants, and I'm like, I'm tired of giving advice and things. And people have no idea for free when, um, we all need to make money, but I'm going to be affordable. So if you think you can't afford it, let's work something out. You can reach out you can still through my Gmail at holistictravelnurse at gmail.com. I'm putting more things together. This episode, we're going to explore what has been benefiting, bit of, um, helping me right now. And at the meantime, I'm recording this. I'm also doing multiple things at the same time you hear the dogs in the background. If you hear other beeping I'm cleaning and baking... I have multiple things, but it's funny because I'm gonna take this little clip from Joe Rogan who talked about um, the benefits of infrared sauna, and then we're gonna explore this more, and then we're gonna go back to some history of other episodes and things that I put out that are beneficial to you. They would really take the time to, okay, yes, natural healing is it something I need to explore? Okay, so um, have you heard so
1: this? Since you've been here last, boy. Um I've read so much stuff about the sauna, about the benefits of the sauna, and then you published that thing saying there's a 40% decrease in mortality on, uh, basically, uh, on everything? Well, I didn't publish it. Someone else published it, but I was- I'm sorry, you tweeted it. Yes. About this article, sorry. (laughs) I did, I wrote an article on some of the health benefits of the sauna, and I predicted that I thought it would play a role in longevity based on some other evidence. And then this study came out showing, indeed, that it, There is a link between um, sauna use and a decrease in all cause mortality. So, people dying from cancer, from cardiovascular disease, from a variety of different diseases. Um, And that was like a big decrease, right? Yeah, it was huge. Yeah, so, well, there was a dose dependent. Um, decrease in all-cause mortality. So, so men that used the sauna once a week, compared to those that used it two to th- time, two to three times a week, they had a decrease, uh, 24% decrease in all-cause mortality. And men that used it like four to seven times a week had a 40% decrease in all-cause mortality. So, when I say a 40% decrease in all-cause mortality, I mean over the time span that these these men were followed, which was 20 years. So, they're following these men for 20 years. They were in their between 50 to 65. Um, when the study started and those men that had been using the sauna more frequently had a 40% reduction in, you know, dying from many causes that aren't accidental.
2: That's and amazing.
1: Yeah, it's super, super cool. And, um, you know, one of part of it, the, there's a lot of things going on with the sauna. I just actually, the place I'm staying at has a steam shower. So I just had a steam shower before I came here and all endorphin buzzed and
2: feeling Does that good. work
1: just as good? Um, it's, you know, it's, it doesn't get as hot as like a typical dry sauna where, you know, the air is.
0: Okay. So that's a clip. Now I found this other thing of this, um, Dr. Terry Walsh and the sauna benefits. And then I'm going to talk more. You'll hear this more, um, not in this episode, but further on later in life, I'm going to tell you The things that have really worked for me when it comes to red light therapy, the products that i bought, the ones that I've wasted money on. So there's a whole bunch of wasted money products, but there are some that are great. And so I want you to know.
2: Uh, And here I'm with Brian Richards from Sauna Space. Now, Sauna Space is a Walls Protocol seminar sponsor. And these partnerships are such a great opportunity to share information about the products and devices I use every day day uh, in my life because so many people ask me what exactly I do every single day and a sauna space sauna is one of those things I do every day. Um, Now sharing the interviews uh, with uh, these people helps me teach you and others about the self-care routines that are so important to your daily health. Now let's get uh, to this today. Uh, and we're going to talk about what makes sauna space so unique and so valuable. Brian, uh, welcome. I'm thrilled to have you today. Um, so let's talk first about sauna for detox. Why? Why is it such a helpful tool?
3: Well, you know, you know, Terry, uh, the use of sauna, use of whole body hyperthermic therapy, heating the body up. Um, in a, in a in a passive state, you know, in a relaxed state, is uh, a tradition that spans pretty much every human culture. It goes back thousands of years, and if you look nowadays in in the PubMed into the modern research into sauna as a therapeutic uh, approach, it's it's uh, incredibly well researched. There's uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of studies um, and lots of long term human studies. So what we see is that. Uh, first of all, sauna is great for detox, but it appears that it's um, it's good for many things. It's an all cause uh, sort of a reoptimization approach to to the body. There's there's uh, benefits in the literature that um, are associated with longevity, reducing all cause mortality, um, reducing you know your risks of dying uh, of all things. That's what that means. But also, there's uh, a really incredible research on it. Uh, as a, an approach to condition the body and reduce risk of things like Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, fibromyalgia, uh, as well as pain and other things. You know, there's associations with improved cognitive functioning. And all of that is stuff that most people don't really associate with sauna. Most people think of sauna as as detox. You know, you get into a sauna to detox. But for first and foremost, I think uh, the detoxification aspect is it's something that we we should talk about first. It, it's probably one of the most important things. I, I think that um, the 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 modern malaise that we have, you know, the diseases of civilization we have nowadays, is a combination of exposure to environmental stress and toxins, and and the degree to which we've gone we, we've uh, you know gone astray from ancestral living, uh, the way that humans lived a long time ago. So you mentioned that a lot about. Uh, Severe temperature changes, uh, you know, constant access to food is things that our ancestors didn't have. Uh, But they also didn't have so much exposure to all of these environmental toxins we have nowadays. Um, There's chemicals out there every year, so much more than there ever was. Every year, new petrochemicals are invented. There's forms of man-made electromagnetic stress. There's also our environment now is one where we're all indoors all the time. We have lots of synthetic blue light stress and other, uh, other things that, that just have become this really toxic tidal wave. So the, as far as things that we can do for our health to maintain our, keep us strong and optimized, a daily detox or, or a multiple times a week detox, detox is really essential uh, for our ancestors. It was really important, but for us just to maintain uh, health in this modern, weird, synthetic world we live in, Detox is so essential. Uh, so for, for sauna space, we we do something kind of special. We we take a, a very gentle detox approach. We use these this near infrared light from um, any incandescent bulb. Near infrared light it has a very deep tissue penetration, so we can heat the body up, but we can have still have the ambient air be kind of lower and gentler than a traditional sauna for for folks who have physical limitations. Uh, or s- sensitivities to heat, uh, this provides a very tolerable, you know, enjoyable, gentle access to heating the body up and causing it to sweat and excrete toxins. And in fact, if you look at the body, uh, there's three ways that we get rid of junk in our body, the poisons in our body. We can either use the, the urine, the urinary system, the, the bowel system, or, or the sweat. Or, or the sweating of the skin. But that third piece, which is sort of our, our three ways that we keep our bodies healthy and clean are are the primary systems. It's the immune system that's behind that that's backing that up as sort of an escalation system. But w- if we can rely on these three primary systems, particularly the sweating one, because we don't do that as much, you know, in, in the West in our modern culture, uh, we're, we're relying on, the built-in again primary system, the, the easiest system, the least stressful system of getting rid of all of these toxins and and, and poisons in the body and that has that's rel, you know related to infectious disease but it's also uh, in terms of uh, our, our brains working right and our, our nervous system working right you know toxins now, on the brain.
2: Brian let's talk a bit about photobiomodulation, uh, biomodulation, which is another uh, benefit uh, of the sauNA space bulbs. Uh, can you explain that uh, to our audience, what, what it is and why it matters for people who have a neurodegenerative or a neuroinflammatory condition? Yeah,
3: that's a great question. That's also what's really cool about the sauna space approach to sauna is we're layering in this thing called photobiomodulation. That's a fancy word, but it has a very specific definition. Photobiomodulation describes the use of red or near-infrared light. To stimulate heal and regenerate and protect tissue that has been injured is degenerating or is somehow like dying in, in, in some way and um, uh the this is also something that is again part of our ancestral environment 41 of of the sun's emission that we receive on earth is near infrared the largest plurality of the sun's emission and it turns out we have uh sort of over billions of years the mitochondria has developed a uh, system to respond to it. So we have these light receptors in our body, in the mitochondria, and when we shine near-infrared light on them, whether it's from the sun or from, you know, uh, a sauna space incandescent bulb that's designed to be near-infrared centric and emit almost the same, about 39% near-infrared, or even from, an, uh, you know, other types of photobiomodulation uh, devices, we we activate... Uh, healing systems in every cell of the body because there's mitochondria in every cell of the body and so there's over 5000 photobiomodulation studies now that we can we can reference and you see you really see it being used uh to heal uh almost any type of disorder and any disease type it's been that, that's been studied out there particularly for inflammation reduction so that's wound healing inflammation reduction uh and um and also for neurodegenerative uh situations these concept of immune modulation so it's it's been really uh uh, it's very interesting how uh, photobiomodulation has a calming effect on the immune system it helps reduce inflammatory cytokines that are pro-inflammatory but it also helps increase the amount of anti-inflammatory cytokines so it's it's not just jacking up your immune system and it's not suppressing it either it's it's conditioning it, uh, at, you know, as you, similar to how you condition your body for exercise. It makes it slowly but surely work better. And so the inflammation aspect and activating the immune system and um, um, sort of correcting the g- generation that happens in nerve cells is essential to what we're talking about in neurodegenerative disease. It also has regenerative effects and you have mitochondria in your nerve cells in your brain and all the nerves of your body. So we can go in there with near infrared light and and induce in, an innate system of of regeneration, reoptimization, correction of, of gene expression, and these other things. And what we see in the literature is now, is, is
2: no, Brian. Uh, so I and again yeah. I want to tell everyone in the audience. Uh, there's a really great research on um, red light uh, for traumatic brain injury, for mental health issues, mm-hmm. for uh, psoriasis for autoimmune issues, pain management. Uh, And so there has been a a growing number of red light devices that are out there. Some of them are light-emitting diodes or LEDs. Uh, uh, Some are low-level lasers. And then you have your device. Uh, What makes your device superior to these other forms of red light therapy? So why, why, why should...
3: What, what's the benefit and so I, I think first of all one of the benefits is that it comes with heat therapy uh, we do have our photon therapy light, which I'm showing you you know in the in the frame here but primarily our, our, our primary product is our sauna and so we're we're combining and we're, we're benefiting from the synergy of doing full body heat therapy and then full body photobiomodulation at the same time instead of divorcing the two and there's overlapping benefits to each you know with the sauna
0: okay so you're gonna have to go and explore his products on your own um, and he gave enough of kind of what he is There's there's so many products out there and so I have not used his so I can't tell you so I'm not gonna go any further but I liked his benefits I know photo um, I, I know some of the stuff he's talking about is very very true that you can go do this research and um, how it's been amazing And there's different types of saunas, all sorts of, um, but the infrared heat, um, I don't, it's very unique. It's very unique. So, um, there's anyways, there's so much about this. I thought we, I've got to explore this more and just give you a tickle of it. And if you've never heard, this is going to tie into this next one, which is a little of my episode, um, from the role of the heart and toxins in your body. I mean, are you aware? Are you aware about the toxic metals and what they do to your cardiovascular system? So this is a repeat, a little bit of a repeat to something that you can listen to the whole episode. Um, It's episode 100, the role of toxins and metals in your heart, because I just don't think that people get this well enough. So I hope that um, you enjoy this.
4: In the subject that received chelation therapy, the event rate was 33%. So there was an 18% risk reduction that was statistically significant, showing that chelation therapy, when added to standard medical therapy, decreases adverse event rate. Now, you'll notice nothing happened for a year, and then the event rate curves begin to separate, and they continue to separate over time. Why did nothing happen early on? Because it takes time to turn the ship around. If you have high blood pressure, and I give you a drug, your blood pressure may fall in a few days. But if you have atherosclerosis due to decades of untreated oxidative stress, to remove the cause of this undue oxidative stress, removing metals. You know, it took you decades to fill up your, your, your bone marrow with toxic metals and your soft tissue with toxic metals. It's going to take time to remove them. So when we are removing the cause of the disease, this is a slow process, but we're slowly and persistently re- resolving the oxidative diathesis, the oxidative predisposition to atherosclerotic vascular disease. This takes time all components of the primary endpoint were lessened death heart attack stroke need for repeat revascularization and need for repeat hospitalization um, with multivitamin therapy alone so no, you're getting placebo iv and either double placebo or the active vitamin there was a three percent risk reduction this was not statistically significant by itself, but it supports our theory. And again, nothing happened for a year, and then the event rate curves begin to, uh, to split. Now, the worst outcome was double placebo. They had the highest event rate. The best group, the best outcome was double active therapy, and this makes sense. We're removing the metals that generate undue oxidative stress We're giving you vitamins and minerals to scarf up any free radicals that break through. You would anticipate there would be a synergy here, and indeed there was. The best outcome was chelation therapy with a high potency vitamin Mm -hmm. mineral supplement. Now, those that had anterior infarctions, anterior wall heart attacks involving the left hand or sending distribution, they had they lost more heart muscle, they are at greater risk for an adverse event, and here chelation. Provided a greater degree of risk reduction, 37% five-year risk reduction. As a general rule, the larger the heart attack, the worse the natural history, the greater the ups, the greater the upside potential, and the more powerful impact will any therapy have. So, overall, there was an 18% risk reduction in those that had the larger anterior heart attacks. There was a 37% five-year reduction. The natural history of diabetics is worse than that of non-diabetics. If you're diabetic, you're generating a great deal of undue-free radical stress. And chelation therapy lowered uh, five-year event rate in the diabetic patients by 39%. Now, death rate fell by 43% with chelation therapy in the diabetic infarct survivors versus the diabetic infarct survivors that received placebo therapy. Um, This is the event rate in the diabetics. It was nearly 50% in five years. Um, Vitamins alone had no effect, and that's because the vitamins alone were not sufficient to neutralize the oxygen stress generated by being diabetic and having a heavy metal burden. Chelation, though, was quite effective, and was tremendous synergy in this group. The best outcome was chelation therapy and high-dose vitamins. Again, there's a greater upside potential the diabetics because they're generating free radicals. They have a metal burden. If we remove the metals and provide antioxidant vitamins, we're going to get the best outcome. So there was great energy here. So synergy between metal detox and antioxidant support in the trial to assess chelation therapy, supporting our theory that oxidative stress is the key driver of atherotic vascular disease. So, ED chelation works in chronic coronary disease. This has now been demonstrated. How does it work? Which steps in atherosclerosis are attenuated? Which steps are not? What are the optimal concomitant therapies Will metal detox and oxidative stress reduction benefit other organ systems? This is EDTA, a hexadentate chelator. We administer EDTA; it binds a metal in its active site, and then your your this the EDTA metal complex is excreted either in the urine or through the liver. Um, let's talk a little bit about the steps of atherosclerosis. Atherosclerosis begins when lipid particles enter the artery wall. It's sites of intimal activation and vulnerability. You have um, endothelial dysfunction. The vascular wall is more porous, the lipids can enter. That, of course, is not pathologic because every cell of the intima has an LDL receptor. LDL cholesterol is food. If the LDL does not bind an LDL receptor, it can swim right out unless the lipids are retained phospholipases, which are upregulated in the presence of systemic inflammation, will minimally oxidize the phospholipids of the LDL, and then they clump together and they get trapped on um, proteoglycan that is composed of chondroitin sulfate. They're trapped, they can't swim out, and then free radicals generated by all the cells of the intima will oxidize the LDL, creating a protein structure not normally present in the human body. We are not tolerant to oxidized LDL. It is interpreted by our immune system as a bacterial invader, and thus we mount an acquired, skewed immune response against pseudo-infection the artery wall with oxidized lipids, and that's the driving force of atherosclerosis when lipids become oxidized by excessive radicals. Over the years, the vascular wall will thicken with progressive deposition of lipids, progressive infiltration of mononuclear cells, monocytes that become macrophages. Systemically, we see an increase in the generation of Th1 and Th17 immune inflammatory cytokines, immune mediators, and we see a reduction in regulatory cytokines. So the immune system is now in battle mode. We're not quieting things down. We think that we're experiencing a chronic bacterial infection of the vascular wall, but it's really a pseudo-infection with oxidized lipids, and our immune system generates all these inflammatory cytokines that generate more inflammation, more oxidative stress, and the the plaque thickens and becomes unstable. Finally, we have the terminal event at a shoulder region of the plaque, a a region um, that is characterized by excessive oxidative stress, matrix metalloproteinases, elaborated by macrophages under the influence of interferon gamma released by activated T cells will be processed by chymase released by activated mast cells and then you'll degrade the fibrous cap, the atherosclerotic gruel will flow out into the flow lumen and you'll have a heart attack and this is really an acute severe imbalance between the ability to neutralize free radicals and the generation of free radicals. We have plaque rupture and oxidative and inflammatory bonfire. We want to prevent this. And if we're going to prevent this, we need to deal with the causes, the risk factors, the abnormalities of vascular biochemistry and cell biology that allowed this process to begin and and which allows this process to perpetuate. And of course, key here is oxidative and inflammatory stress. I can- All
5: right, I did not talk. hour lecture. I'm not going to share it all. I'm going to speak for it and give you a little more. He goes into these slides that are really great and I just want to talk about things that he's saying during this moment. He says you see more of this happening um, with heart and inflammation and uh, this is a long process with the last not having enough antioxidants and vitamins and minerals um, deficient in Certain vitamins and minerals and omega 3s, um, deficient in vitamin K2 and vitamin D in muckle donors. So, people um, that are overweight have uh, hypertension, um, deficiency in coenzyme 10, carotene, magnesium, um, insulin, insust- insulin resistance, uh, other toxics, um, having high homocysteine levels, smoking, trans fat having a lot of iron and heavy metals in your body obviously stress, stressed, um, organic pollutants, air pollution, so those are just some of the things and I'm just going to speed this up and give you a little bit more of um, some science and, and if you wanted to watch his whole thing geek out, I will put the link below.
4: This food, LDL is a protein, a bullet protein B100 containing a sac of cholesterol and triglycerides and cholesterol ester, the um, the um, outer wall of the apoliprotein B100 is studded with phospholipids. And the rheologic characteristics, the flow characteristics of the LDL depend upon the quantity and quality of the phospholipids in its outer wall. But every cell of the intima needs LDL. Every cell has an LDL receptor. If the cells don't need cholesterol, they withdraw their LDL receptor. Remember, we have that SCAP-SRE interaction. If the endothelial cells don't need cholesterol, they're going to withdraw their LDL receptor. So if there's no cells with an open LDL receptor, the LDL will wash out of the artery wall, unless it is modified and trapped. Now, what happens is phospholipases, like phospholipase A2, phospholipase D, liprodipase, that are activated in the presence of systemic inflammation, will oxidize the phospholipids, coating the um, LVO, and then they'll clump together. And they, they clump together and they bind to chondroit sulfate and proteoglycan, the ground substance artery, and they're trapped and they can't get out, and then they're subjective to oxidative stress. Um, so phospholipase A2 breaks one bond, phospholipase D makes another bond, making um, lysophosphatylcholines, which are inflammatory in nature. Um, so here we're gonna look at um, phospholipase deactivation in bovine, that's cattle-derived endothelial cells. And here we will see that if you incubate these endothelial cells with three different species of mercury, mercury chloride, mercury that you would get from fish, saw which is in vaccines, you can see that there is a dose in time-related activation of phospholipase D, suggesting that mercury will activate phospholipase D, causing minimal oxidation of the phospholipids of the LDL, causing them now to clump together on the chondroitin sulfate proteoglycan and get trapped. Now, vitamin C will to some degree attenuate mercury-induced phospholipase activation. Vitamin C will squelch superoxide, mercury causes oxidative stress to generate superoxide. A more effective therapy is N-acetylcysteine, which contains a thiol group, a sulfhydryl group, and N-acetylcysteine supports glutathione. Glutathione is a specific chelator of mercury, so you can see that N-acetylcysteine was more effective than vitamin C because it upregulates the generation of glutathione, which will bind and remove mercury. EDTA, a strong chelator of lead, aluminum, and cadmium, blocks mercury-induced phospholipase deactivation to some degree. DMSA, a specific mercury chelator, does a better job. So if you remove the mercury and if you generate glutathione to help remove the mercury, you'll block mercury-induced phospholipase activation, at least in this amp. And we want to do that because if we have hyperlipidemia, if we have a porous leaky vascular wall, if the lipids are minimally oxidized and trapped on the proteoglycan, they can't swim out, they're stuck there, and subject to oxidative stress by free radicals. A free radical is an atom with one as opposed to two electrons in its outer shell. It is unstable and reactive. It'll snatch an electron from the next atom, quenching its thirst, but forming a new radical. And one by one, all the atoms will be damaged, the cell will be damaged, the organ will be damaged, and we get sick. Atherosclerosis and all of our age-related diseases are driven by oxidative stress. Where do these free radicals come from? Well, if they're the vascular wall, enzyme systems of the normal cells of the vascular wall, the endothelial cells, resident white cells, the macrophages, vascular smooth muscle cells, will all generate free radicals via their housekeeping enzymes, such as NADPH oxidase, xanthine oxidase, converting enzyme, cyclooxygenase, myeloproxenase. We'll talk about them a little bit later in other talks. If we call in mononuclear cells to investigate this irregularity that Mother Nature is, is, is noting, this potential infection, they're going to make um, free radicals. But the big problem, the pathological source of oxidative stress in the vascular wall, is our burden of heavy metals and organic pollutants. So these lipids, once they're trapped, they are subject to undue oxidative stress. And this creates oxidized LDL, the driving force of atherosclerosis. The immune system recognizes oxidized LDL not as food, but as a microbe. And we will acquire a chronic inflammatory response. The atherosclerotic plaque is a slowly growing boil that eventually ruptures and causes a heart attack. If we look at your relative risk for having a cardiac event, if you're in the second or third tercile for LDL versus the third, of course it rises, but it rises a lot more with oxidized LDL. Oxidized LDL is a strong predictor of a rising IMT, which in turn reflects an increased predisposition to disease progression and event rate. So we need to block LDL oxidation. So I learned about oxidative stress 20 to 25 years ago from this Terry Chapel, who practices in Bluffton, Ohio. Now, at this time, 25 years ago, I spent all my time in the hospital, and I was actually tied at age 35 with two older guys as the leading emitter of cardiovascular patients to my primary hospital. The coronary care unit had eight beds, and one Tuesday afternoon, 25 years ago, between two and four in the afternoon, all of the, the, the chart, all eight charts corresponding to those patients had a blue sticker showing they were Robert's patients. I spent all my time taking care of crises, doing invasive procedures. I was sort of a a master of cardiovascular disaster, but I wasn't doing anything to prevent this disease. Um, And then one day, this little old lady got admitted to me with a small heart attack. I did her heart cath, and all three vessels were blocked. And I advised her to undergo bypass surgery before she left the hospital. And that was a fairly bold recommendation because at that time, the standard was to medicate the patient, have them go home and recover, and have their bypass surgery a month later because surgical anesthesia then was not as well developed as it is today, and the mortality with acute uh, heart attack surgery was quite high. But the, the blockages were so tight that I was really worried about this lady, and I said, you need to have the bypass surgery. She didn't want to do it, so I said, ma'am, if you don't have bypass surgery before you leave the hospital, you're going to die. Well, she listened politely and declined my recommendation and went home, and I put her on a beta blocker, a I saw her in the office a few weeks later, and I told her, I hope you've made up your mind to have surgery because you're at risk of death. Well, no, I need a little bit more time. My family's coming in well, okay, take this diltiazem. I saw her a month later and I told her that she was gonna die without bypass surgery. Oh, I just need to wait a little bit longer. So I would see her periodically and tell her that she was gonna die without bypass surgery. And then about two years later, I was going in to see her and I was getting ready to tell her she was gonna die without bypass surgery. And it dawned on me that she was not dead. In fact, she looked really good and she wasn't taking my medicine. I go, ma'am, I was so worried about you, and I thought you needed hybrid surgery, and you're doing so well, I don't understand it. He goes, well, Dr. Roberts, you seem like a fine young man. I don't want to upset you, but when I went and I got chelation therapy. Huh? Chelation therapy, doesn't work. Well, Dr. Roberts, she just said I was doing well. She was. She had gone to Dr. Chapel behind my back and got chelation therapy and got better. As it turns out, a handful of my patients were going down to Dr. Chapel and getting better, and they all kind of fessed up and they told me about it. And gee, I was told by my professors that chelation didn't work. But all these patients with advanced heart disease are undergoing chelation and they're getting better. So I called Dr. Chapel up and I asked him, Well, what, is, what are you doing? You know.
5: So that's a really good story because this is actually where a physician I'm, I'm proud to. Hear these stories where physicians go, okay, yeah, I was taught this and taught wrong things at medical school and yet explore it as their patients. As a patient, you have the right to go do the research yourself and go see other um, practitioners and choose a more less aggressive route in your health and make lifestyle changes and do chelation and do things that are actually going to benefit your body and be less invasive. And so this is why this, is, this channel exists to give you hope, to give you information and and uh, let's just go a little bit more of what he has to say um, and uh, maybe let's get to an area where I know it's a lot of science, this is a lot of science about stress and the markers, I think mean, since he has like this freaking two hour long um, lecture, but it's really cool. So just
4: listen a little bit more. Prevention, not primary prevention. We will use pharmaceutical approaches. Why not? So we're making superoxide. Mother Nature generates superoxide. She had to come up with the means of neutralizing, detoxifying superoxide. And that is superoxide dismutase that dismutates or neutralizes superoxide into hydrogen peroxide. We have SOD1, which is in the cytoplasm the cell fluid. SOD2, which is in the mitochondria, our fuel cells, SOD3, which is on the vascular wall. The hydrogen peroxide will be converted to water and oxygen by catalase, glutathione peroxidase, and redoxins This is Mother Nature's and primary defense against free radicals. Now, some of the free radicals may break through, and thus we have our secondary defense, which are antioxidant vitamins and minerals, which we can obtain from diet or via supplementation. One problem, many of us are genomically downregulated in our ability to handle free radicals, and we, I routinely measure this in my patients, and most of my patients with cardiovascular disease harbor downregulations in our antioxidant defense molecules. And this was a good idea a thousand years ago because we weren't dealing with toxins, we didn't have mercury fillings, we weren't exposed to lead or cadmium or aluminum, but we were fighting microbes. And if you were good at making free radicals and bad at neutralizing free radicals, you had more bullets to kill the microbes. So many of us, so this was adaptive for primitive man, it's maladaptive for modern man. So some of us who are particularly weak at at neutralizing free radicals, we're the canaries in the coal mine. We get sick, uh, while the individuals who are genetically attacked do not, we get sicker at at a younger age in life. And you also need mineral cofactors, superoxide dismutase, to function adequately, needs uh, manganese and zinc and selenium. Um, Glutathione peroxidase needs iodine. We tend to be low in minerals. I will check this in my patients. Those of you who are experiencing oxidative stress, you've depleted your manganese, your selenium, and zinc. Now, this is a big deal. If you look at the relationship between serum selenium and the number of vessels that are blocked, you know, if you have high selenium, um, you're clear. As selenium levels fall, you have more vascular disease because you have weak antioxidant defenses. And our vitamin uh, antioxidant defenses are interacting. Uh, ascorbic acid vitamin C is our primary um, water-soluble antioxidant, vitamin E is our primary intracellular, fat-soluble antioxidant, and vitamin C will recycle vitamin E and coenzyme Q and lipolic acid play a role here. So we have a, a teamwork and in interlocking, vitamin-based antioxidant defense system to deal with any um, superoxide or hydrogen peroxide that breaks through our primary enzyme-based antioxidant defense barriers. Um, there are many different sources of oxidative stress, and we need a team of antioxidants. Um, so I liken this to a football team. Some what bothers me a lot is someone will come in and they're drinking this fruit juice from Southeast Asia that the Queen of England thought was a good idea, whatever, and it's all you need to do. And it's well and good; it's going to be rich in bioflavonoids. But we need of a team of antioxidants. So you could take all the fruit juice you want, or you could take 1,000 milligrams a day of coenzyme Q, but if you're low in manganese, selenium, and zinc, the free radicals are gonna break through. This would be like having a football team with several all-stars and a couple lime with broken legs. The bad guys will find a way to break through. This is why we wanna do nutritional testing, and this is why in the tax study, we put you on a broad spectrum vitamin neural program to cover all these bases. Um, and this is very important because if superoxide and peroxide break through our defenses, um, myeloperoxidase will convert peroxide into hypochlorous acid, which is like um, bleach. And that's good to kill microbes, but you don't want to be bleaching your your organs. Um, superoxide will react with nitric oxide to form peroxynitrate, which leads to endothelial dysfunction. The big problem is that heavy metals will catalyze the Fenton reaction that converts uh, superoxide or peroxide into hydroxyl, which is a thousand times more damaging than is superoxide. This is how heavy metals are bothering us. Any free radicals that break through, their toxicity is magnified a thousand thousandfold. Um, so we're experiencing free radical overload. Superoxide generated by xanthine oxidase, antioxidant converting enzyme. Uh, and hph oxidase. Superoxide needs to be neutralized by superoxide dismutase, catalase, and glutathione peroxidase. If not, we get peroxynitrite, hypochloric acid, or hydroxyl. And This is where metals are a problem. High iron and high copper will catalyze the Fenton reaction to make hydroxyl. This is why if your ferritin level is high, I will recommend that you get blood because excess iron acts just like lead and promotes oxidative stress. High ferritin increases cardiac risk. High LDL increases cardiac risk. High ferritin with high LDL synergizes to dramatically increased cardiac risk. And cadmium, lead, mercury, and aluminum are all promoting the conversion of superoxide and peroxide into damaging hydroxyl. We've got to get this stuff out of this. Um, if not, we have oxidative stress. Um, we go out of balance. We have uh, inflammation, we have endothelial dysfunction, we have cardiovascular disease. Because oxidative stress is interpreted by our body as infection, so we're gonna ramp up this process, we get hyperglycemia, hyperlipidemia, immune dysregulation, endothelial dysfunction, and cardiovascular disease. This this uh, response is appropriate to real infection, but it's inappropriate to a 50-year <laughs> pseudo-infection, uh, pseudo-infection where the body mis- identifies oxidized LDL within the RE wall as a microbe. What are the mechanisms of metal toxicity? Well, oxidative stress, cofactor depletion, enzyme dysfunction, and there's a synergy between toxins. Multiple metals, interaction with organic pollutants. There was an animal model where you give an animal the LDL 10 of lead. That, that's enough lead to kill 10 of the, 10% of the animals. Then the LDL 10 of mercury, that's enough mercury to kill. of the animals. Then you give them the LDL 10 and the LDL of mercury, you get LDL 100 because different metals will compromise different steps in our metabolism. The more metals that we're exposed to, the more likely we are to have a problem. Plus the metals will interact with organic pollutants as well. Now, metals destroy enzymes. They come up the lock and they throw away the key. So enzymes participate in an assembly line process um, to generate new molecules. So the enzyme will grab a substrate and an energy source such as ATP. It will catalyze the phosphorylation of the substrate to create ADP and a finished product that is then processed by another enzyme. The open uh, active site of the enzyme will catalyze the next step, uh, will catalyze another substrate. Well, if we have metals, they will bind to the the active site of the enzyme and like a key that doesn't fit in the lock, it just gets stuck and it kills the enzyme. The enzyme can no longer carry out its biochemical activities. It will be degraded. You make new enzyme, which is then poisoned by metals. So metals will gum up our enzyme system and compromise our biology. Um, mercury will um, inhibit methionine synthase, and thus you will deplete your SAMI. If you don't have SAMe, NOC methionine COMT, catecholomethyltransferase, cannot break down adrenaline. So those of you with mercury fillings or eating a lot of fish, over the years you're going to bring up mercury. You'll, you'll take in a lot of mercury. You can't break down adrenaline. So your blood pressure rises. All of a sudden you can't drink coffee and you're stress intolerant because you're no longer able to break down adrenaline because of a mercury burn. Cobalt is quite toxic. It binds to groups in lipoic acid and compromises our biology. So in World War II, cobalt was used in munitions, and the workers were grinding the cobalt, and they got a think
5: He has so much information. I'm gonna go a little bit further, and then I'm gonna end it, because um, I really, if you're geeked out, you can listen to the whole thing, but what I got from it is, because man, oh man, chelation can save lives when you're using it, and, you need something to help remove those metals that are in your body. Um, I remember having just recently, past uh, six months, as a you whittensile know, holistic dentist, and uh, was working to get all the mercury of my mouth, and he just looked at me straight, naturopath dentist, who said, you're mercury poisoned. And so I have been working very hard on chelating and uh, doing things to remove these heavy metals out of my body. Particular mercury. I'm sure
4: I have lead led too, and that's what I started some products with some We took it down to ten, and now we would say that um, um, ten is enough. Um, that the ten is safe um, in adults. Ninety-five percent is stored in bone, and our bone lead level is now a hundred times greater than it was a hundred years ago, and lead is associated with hypertension, cardiovascular disease, and kidney disease. Um, Cardiovascular risk of, quote, normal blood levels, as if there's anything really normal about having these toxins. Primitive man didn't have any of these toxins. Saying there's a normal level is sort of an excuse to say, we don't have to do anything about it, we do not have to be responsible stewards of our body. Now. A blood level above 10 is associated with an increased risk of neurologic disease wow. in kids. Everybody would admit to this. Blood level less than 10 in kids is considered normal. Don't worry about it. But kids with a level of 10 have an IQ 7.5 points below kids with a level of 0 to 1. 7.5 IQ points is huge. That's the difference between a job that requires cognitive function where you're going to Going to contribute to society like a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker in a job that does not require cognitive integrity where you're not going to be contributing to society such as being like a Medicare administrator. And of course, you know, I gave this talk to doctors so everybody got a chuckle out of that one. Now, a blood level of, 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 of above 10 is associated with increased cardiovascular risk in adults. of U.S. adults now have blood levels below 10 because we took it out of gas and out of tin cans. But if kids are not okay with a level below 10, is there an increased cardiovascular risk in adults at a lead level below 10, between one and 10? So what we're gonna do here, we're gonna take just over 1,400 adult participants in the third NHANES study. This is the National Health and Nutrition Education uh, Survey. Recorded baseline, your standard cardiovascular risk factors, and blood lead, you're gonna exclude the minority of the patients 707, with blood levels above 10. And we're gonna look at just below 1400 who had quote unquote normal levels. The mean level was 2.58. The first tercile, the lower third, was zero to 1.9. The middle tercile was 1.9 to 3.6. The third tercile was anything above 3.6 we're gonna record mortality and cause of mortality over the following 12 years. Does a quote unquote normal range lead affect long-term mortality? Now, if we look at all cause mortality relative risk, being in the middle tercile did not increase your risk, but if you were in the upper third, you were 30% more likely to die over the follow-up period. If you were in the middle tercile, your cardiovascular death risk rose 6%, but if you were in the third tercile, above 3.6, you rose sixty four percent death due to myocardial infarction five percent or a hundred percent risk you were twice as likely to die of myocardial infarction if you're in the third tercile. stroke mortality and stroke is linked more to high blood pressure than with heart attack and lead causes high blood pressure it's a cause of high blood pressure if you're in the middle tercile versus the third you're 2.2 times as likely in the third tercile, you're 2.6 times as likely to die of stroke as individuals with lower lead levels. And why is this occurring? Because lead causes oxidative stress. If you look at your relative risk for a future event, if you're in the second or third tercile for LDL versus the third, your risk rises. But if it's oxidized LDL, your risk skyrockets. Lead leads to oxidative stress, leads to cardiovascular disease, leads to hypertension, increased risk of heart attack and stroke mortality. That makes sense. Lead and hypertension in men. What is the mechanism? 33 men aged 28 to 58, 25 were exposed to lead for weeks to months. They were welders, they were metal cutters, and they would monitor lead blood levels in the workplace, and if their lead level got high, they were taken away from the workplace, and they were returned when their blood lead level returned to normal, which is a big mistake because it's not being excreted from the body, it's entering your cells. So if you take them off work for a month, their blood levels normal. That's because it's all in their cells. That was a bad idea. But anyways, that was their practice. And then you look at eight non-exposed workers. We're going to measure labs pertaining to the renin angiotensin aldosterone system, the RAAS. Now what you see here, you can see this is a very old study because we had to photocopy the graph. Lead correlates exponentially with renin. Renin is released by the kidney It leads to the generation of angiotensin-1. The kidney will release renin in response to oxidative stress or impaired blood flow. Lead causes oxidative stress, basal constriction, the kidney releases renin. Um, Then, angiotensin-1 correlates linearly with renin and exponentially with lead. ACE, angiotensin burning enzyme, correlates linearly with angiotensin-1 and exponentially with lead. Aldosterone, this is a hormone released by the adrenal that retains sodium and water and waste potassium and magnesium, correlates linearly with lead. So lead, led to activation of the renin, angiotensin, aldosterone system. You're making more aldosterone, you're making more angiotensin too. That causes oxidative stress, vasoconstriction, salt and water reduction, retention, and hypertension. Um, So lead is linked with hypertension in men, Adult blood lead levels have dropped by 90% over the past 20 years. But that that doesn't mean that it's out of our body. It's locked into our cells. 95% of our lead is in bone. Once it's in, it's pretty much locked in forever. The of Aging Study looked at bone lead, which is an index of...
0: Sorry, I had to cut it off. It was getting long, but you can go listen to my whole episode. You can go find that on YouTube. There's... That's the real thing is um, heavy metals could be causing your problems and your illness. And how do you clear those heavy metals? I mean, it struck me re listening to this about lead is just stuck in your bone. But what I've read is something different is that women, we will leak the lead out in menopause. So we'll explore this topic some more. If you've never listened to um, the Myers Detox and her podcast, you might explore that. She has a lot of great information. There's so much good information about chelating and detoxing heavy metals that if you have not done it, you need to be exploring it. And um, if you need a health coach to help you walk you through that, I'm available and I'm affordable. So reach out today.